Think you can make it, huh? I got it. I got it. I'm here. I'm ready to go. All right, I'm going to call us back together again. If you'll be seated for just a moment after you get done loving and caring for each other. The amount of love you have is sickening. Isaiah chapter 9, y'all just love each other too much. I'll tell you what. I want to share with us uh, from the Word of God this morning from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, it's a chapter we look at a lot of times during Christmas time, but I want to point it out to us again today. Isaiah chapter 9, God says this, starting in verse 2, he said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In Isaiah 9, we have this wonderful text of a picture of the messianic king, the king who would come and would set up his throne, and his kingdom would not be marked by violence and oppression. His kingdom would be marked by justice and righteousness and freedom and love and boundless prosperity. And as a result, God promises. He says he will do this. So when we celebrate Jesus, we're not just celebrating someone who did something a while back that was good for us. We're celebrating the king of all kings who died, rose again, and one day he's coming back to consummate his kingdom, to reign it in where we will have righteousness and justice, and God will set free all captives and lead them into the bountiful kingdom that he has. And so what we're celebrating today is not just the one who died on the cross, but we're celebrating the one who rose from the dead and promised he's coming again as the rightful, righteous king. And all of creation will be put back the way God intended for it to be. I don't know about you, but that's going to be a great day. And that's a day worthy of celebrating, and that's a Jesus who's worthy of praise. Would you pray with me, God? I pray that as we sing this morning, God, I pray that you will show us that you are the one who has the name that's above every name. God, you are the one who is highly exalted above all, and you are the rightful king of all creation. So God, help us to give you the praise you deserve because of who you are and all that you've done. And God, as we sing, help us to long for your kingdom to come in fullness. God, that we might praise you and celebrate you in the absence of sin for all eternity. God, I pray that you will usher your kingdom in soon. God, we pray that until that time comes, you'll find us worshiping you, giving you all the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together, Lord. I pray that I pray that everything in our lives will give you the praise you deserve. God, you have created us, you have formed us for your glory. 
And God, as was so beautifully saying, God, everything we are is to be for the praise of your name. So God, in this moment, as we start to study your word, help us to not say, oh Lord, I hope my neighbor hears this message. And Lord, I pray they'll give you glory. But God, I pray that you'll help us to say, God, use your word to stir up my praise of you. God, that you might receive the glory that is due your name. And Lord, that it would spread from this place. And as we go from this place, that we would take with us the praise of your name, knowing you have formed us for that purpose, to give you glory. And God, may we serve you and love you as the rightful king, the good king, the righteous king, the glorious king. Oh God, I pray that as we study your word today, you would stir up in us a love for you. And God, I pray that your name will be on our lips. Lord, I pray you'll teach us from your word today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 72, I would ask you to turn in your Bibles with me there. We're walking through a brief little six-week study on the book of Psalms. I shared over the last couple of weeks, first of all, in the first week, we looked at Psalm chapter 1, Psalm 1, which is a preface to all the Psalms. It basically lays out, here's what the Psalms are about. It's about blessed is the man who doesn't walk According to the counsel of the wicked, blessed is the man who meditates on the word of the Lord, who delights in the word of the Lord, and who walks in it, meditates in it day and night. We looked at what it means to actually be blessed and joyful, what it means to have happiness, and it's, it's by being blessed by God, by loving his word and living it out and walking in it day by day. Then last week, we looked at one of the Psalms from book one. I believe the Psalms are broken up into five books and book one, we looked at Psalm 8, which was a, a testimony to the King Jesus, the, the rightful King. We looked at, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, that he was the King of all things and deserves praise as a result. Now today, in book two of the Psalms, I bring to you Psalm 72, which I believe closes the second book. And in Psalm 72, what the psalmist does is take our eyes off of just what's happening right now and extend it out to the end of all things. And in Psalm 72, what you see is the depiction of the righteous king and his perfect kingdom. Now, I don't believe I have to convince you of the fact that we don't see this type of leadership much in our day. You don't turn on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News and usually find leaders who exemplify this. But instead, the picture of human leadership we've gotten is human leadership that loves itself, desires to gain for itself, instead of giving itself up for the people. And in Psalm 72, what the psalmist does is fix our eyes on a day, the light at the end of the tunnel, where the glorious reign of the righteous king will be seen. And as Christians, you and I should live every day with that end in sight, knowing that this world is not all there is, but there is coming a greater day. Psalm 72 
I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it, and then I'll let you sit down for a little bit. Psalm 72. We're told the Psalm 72 is the Psalm of Solomon. We'll get into that in a second. But let me read this to us this morning, Psalm 72. And the psalmist writes and says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Verse 5, may they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and, the coast, and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From, the, from oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Verse 15. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked from him for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you, use your word for your sheep to feed them, to soothe them, God, to correct, to rebuke, and to cause us, God, to love and trust you more. May you root out sin and cause us to love you all the more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Psalm 72, the perfect king, the perfect kingdom. Oh, how we long or should long for this. And what we have in Psalm 72 is a prayer for the righteous king. And here is what the prayer consists of. We're going to walk through this bit by bit, but if you're taking notes, and you should take notes, I want you to write these down as we go and as we walk through this. First of all, I want you to notice that there is similar language in this psalm as there is in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 is a messianic psalm. It points to the fact that there was going to come the rightful righteous king. He's called the branch. And in Psalm chapter 11, Isaiah, I mean in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah writes this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. That was talking about the righteous king who was going to show up, the, the branch from the stump of Jesse. Now we know that Jesus is that branch. He is the one who came from the line of David. He is the rightful king. And Jesus promises that when he reigns, there will be a reigning of righteousness and faithfulness and justice. And I don't know about you, but living in this world where there's not a lot of righteousness and faithfulness and justice coming from those who are supposed to be our leaders, it's good news to know that one day our righteous king will reign. And on that day, it'll be a beautiful day. You won't have to struggle to get up on that day. You won't have to worry and stress about what's coming down the path because you know your righteous king will be executing justice and faithfulness. And so here in Psalm 72, I think it sounds an awful lot like Isaiah chapter 11. And if Isaiah chapter 11 is about Jesus, then I'm just going to assume that Psalm 72 might also be about Jesus. And yet we're told at the beginning of this psalm that it's a psalm of Solomon. Now we're not sure if that means he's the author or if that means this was David writing about his son and praying for him and all who would come after him. But in the end, regardless of which one it is, just know it ain't primarily about Solomon. Because the righteous king that's talked about here and the prayers lifted up have a much longer focus than just one man's lifetime. I want to show that to you. Psalm 72. If you're taking notes, and you should, number one, I want you to write down the righteous king. Verses one through four tell us about the righteous king. Notice the prayer that's lifted up for the righteous king. Verse 1, give, your, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Notice that the prayer for the king asks God to give the king justice. So what does that teach us about the relationship between God, justice, and man? Well, it tells us that justice does not naturally reside within humanity. Because here they pray that the king would be given justice by who? God. So where does justice originate? Not us. We are not naturally just. God gives justice. And so the prayer starts out with realizing that the king is submitting to God. That God is the one who gives. Moses said this about God in Deuteronomy 32.4. He said, the rock, talking about God, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So guess what kings are supposed to do? They're supposed to model and reflect the king. And God is righteousness. He is justice. It flows from him. He is justice. And so the, the psalmist prays that God would give justice to the king. So notice that prayer. Notice also there's a focus on justice and righteousness and specifically towards the poor, the needy, and the oppressed. Righteousness is used three times in the first three verses. 
in each verse. Justice involves righteous judging, defending, and delivering. And so when the, when the prayer goes up and says, God, give the king your justice, your righteousness to the royal son, there's a calling out that God would pour out his justice, he would pour out his righteousness upon the king, that the king might rule in such a way as to honor God. And both justice and righteousness talk about right dealing with people. Rightly relating to God and rightly relating to others. And guess what? Kings are supposed to dispense and model and pour out the justice and the righteousness that God gives. The reason why there's so much brokenness we see around us is sometimes because the kings who are over us don't model these things. But do not be dismayed because the God of the universe gives justice and righteousness and the psalmist is praying that God would pour that out and that the king would rule in justice. The king, I want you to notice, is to rule for the benefit of the weak and exploited, not for himself. Notice the, the king is being prayed for, that the king would dispense justice and righteousness, that he would judge the people, in verse 2, with righteousness and your poor with justice. And that king is to do so for those who are weak and needy and poor. Verse 3, the psalmist says, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and, in the, and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of who? The poor of the people. Give deliverance to who? The children of the needy and crush the oppressor. The prayer is for the righteous king that he would judge and rule for the benefit of those who cannot rule themselves, who, who are weak, who are vulnerable, who are prone to oppression. God says that he pours out justice on the king to allow the king to be able to rule the people well and not for his own gain but for the good of the needy and the oppressed and the poor. Notice in verse 2, the psalmist prays and speaks of the king as judging your people. So who do the people belong to? Notice what he says. Verse 2, may the king, may he judge your people with righteousness. Why? Those are God's people. Those are God's people. Even the king over his subjects is still just under the kingship of the great king. So even the subjects that a king might have aren't naturally his. They belong to God. So one thing that Solomon needed to remember, one thing that David needed to remember, all those kings that came after him, what they needed to remember was that they were ultimately God's people that they were ruling over. Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lot of accountability for a king. Knowing that he's ruling over those who rightly belong to God. And so they're God's subjects first. The righteous king rightly judges, and he does so by crushing the oppressor. Listen, that crushing, that's justice that's brought by the king on behalf of the people who are broken and needy and oppressed. Notice that the king doesn't rule for his own he rules for the people. 
the king who rules righteously and justly. Notice what he says in verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Guess what comes under the reign of the righteous and the just king? What comes is the king who rules righteously and justly provides the grounds for prosperity. It's the Hebrew word salom, which is also including shalom. Right? The, the, the prosperity being talked about that comes under the rule of the righteous, just king is a wholeness that even includes peace among the people. Oh, how great would it be if we lived in a world that had peace? That was really shalom, you know? A wholeness that included righteousness and justice and peace. Oh, we just have lost the, we've lost the idea that that's even possible. We look around us and say, is it possible ever that there will be pure peace and justice and righteousness? Doesn't look like it, does it? That's why the psalmist says, put your eyes on the one who's going to come. Put your eyes to the end of the tunnel where there is light and there is joy and there is righteousness and there is justice. But the prayer for the righteous king goes up that he might rule and judge the people rightly and that his affections and that his care would be for those who are the weakest among them. So we see the, the righteous king. Number two, we see the king's eternal reign in verse 5 through 7. The psalmist goes on and says, May they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. You notice that the reign of this king cannot be simply one man's lifetime? Because last time I checked, it is most likely that I'm going to die before the moon runs out. I'm guessing that Jason is going to die before the sun gives way. I mean, Jesus could come back before then, but I'm just going with the odds here. It's most likely that Jason is going to die and these things are going to continue to move forward. And so what the psalmist is praying, he's praying for the righteous king and his reign that goes on beyond just one man's lifetime. Because he says, may they fear you, O king, while the sun endures. Well, the sun's probably going to endure for a long time. As long as the moon. It was there before us. It'll probably be there after us. And then he says, throughout all generations. Well, just so you know, that can't just be the psalmist talking about Solomon or any other human leader. This is, a, this is an eternal reign. This is an everlasting reign. You see the picture? This is, this is looking beyond the reign of any earthly king. The psalmist says, may they fear you or may, may you live or endure while the sun endures. It's the promise of God that his kingdom would be established and it would move forward and the rightful king would sit on the throne and reign for all eternity. It's the promise of God. We saw it when I read Isaiah 9 earlier this morning. That one would establish and uphold the throne of David and be over his kingdom with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah was talking about a king who would rule forevermore. And his kingdom would be marked by what? Justice and righteousness. Well, guess what the psalmist is talking about here? The righteous king who rules forevermore in justice and righteousness. I think this is talking about Jesus. Oh, and it says, may he be like rain. So he compares the righteous judge to rain that falls and waters the earth. Oh, now that's a good picture. 
Oh, and that's one we don't see very often. I don't see many of our leaders watering us like rain waters the earth. Instead, it seems like drought comes. And in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we have the last words of David. And I'll read this to you. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. In 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 4, here's the words of David. It says, now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse. Right? This was the king. This was the king. And he's about to say his last words. The anointed of God, of, of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the spirit of the Lord speaks to me. His word is on my tongue. This is David talking. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. Guess what a righteous king acts like? He's like water that comes upon the earth and causes everything to grow and to be nourished. Oh, too many of the kings we see today make us feel like it is running low on water. Like it's all drying up and shriveling and there ain't no hope. Guess what? The righteous king rules and reigns and he's like water that comes down on the earth and everything grows and prospers. Everything is blessed under the hand of the righteous, just king. Oh, I'm telling you, folks, I'm telling you. We talked about this on a Monday morning at our Chick-fil-A Bible study, which, by the way, men, we're going to have them tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. Come to that if you want to study the word. But we talked about the fact that many times we look at heaven or the life to come as simply an extension of this one. Like, it's, like, like heaven is just going to be us doing our normal routine just forever. And some of you think of that and go, I'd rather not. Maybe you could sign me up for the other heaven, which allows you to sleep till 1 in the afternoon. And then get on the couch and watch TV. I'm just saying from my own perspective. <laughs> but the days of the righteous king are so unlike right now that you and I can't even fathom the difference between the two. It's like a theologian said, it's like trying to understand a butterfly from the caterpillar. Just ain't going to happen. The caterpillar looks gross. Right? Just looks gross and weird. But the butterfly looks beautiful. And I'm telling you, the day to come in the kingdom of the righteous king, it will look totally unlike this day. Because it will be a day that is flourishing under the righteousness and justice of the king. No more sin, no more brokenness, just dwelling in the presence of the king for all time. It will not be like an everlasting church service. It'll be to rule and reign within the kingdom of God forever. And that's not like this. This world is marked by brokenness and deceit and injustice. Injustice. And what we find is that the day to come, when Jesus comes back, he will usher in the kingdom that will be pure righteousness and justice. And he will be like rain watering the earth. In the days of the righteous king, we see that the righteous man will flourish and peace abounds, according to verse 7. Oh, that's a good day. When the righteous man flourishes and peace abounds, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And I don't know about you, but there ain't much of that happening right now. But it's good news to know that one day it will so we turn our eyes to that. 
Psalm, the psalmist is pointing us to the future and saying there's a greater day ahead, a greater day ahead. Number three, we see the all-encompassing kingdom, verse 8 through 11. The all-encompassing kingdom. He says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and, the coast, and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Guess what? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of this righteous king, it includes everyone and everything. It is an all-encompassing kingdom. The kingdom of God is going to fill all of creation. The prayer for the righteous king includes unlimited reign. Notice that he, he prays for dominion from sea to sea for the king. Okay, just so you know, that's, that's everything. Sea to sea. Or the river, which I think was talking about the river Euphrates, to the ends of the earth, which basically is just a way of saying throughout the entire earth. Notice that the, the prayer is that the king would have dominion over all land and sea. Not only that, but dominion over all peoples. Notice he talks about may the desert tribes bow down to him. May his enemies lick the dust. This, this reign of this perfect king is talking about dominion over all people. Notice he even goes on. Dominion over all royalty. He says in verse 10, may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands and Sheba and Seba, all kings, he says, all nations bow down before him and serve him. The dominion of the righteous king doesn't leave anything out. Everything will bow down to him and everyone. This righteous king, he will rule over all of creation. And everyone will submit to him as the rightful king. So while it looks broken now, and while it looks like there's no hope now, our eyes are fixed to the day when all nations will serve him and all kings will bow down to him. Next, number four, we see the king's compassion, verse 12 through 14. The king's compassion. Verse 12 says, For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. This righteous king, he is a compassionate king. He's not Lord with a heavy hand. He is a compassionate, righteous king. I don't know about you, but a lot of the kings we see, a lot of the leaders we see like to lord it over people, like to swing the heavy hand, like to show they're in charge without much compassion. Guess what? The righteous king pours out compassion on the people. Guess what his affections are for? The needy, the poor. The oppressed, and just so you know, that's us. I don't want you to say that's your neighbor. That's you and me. That's us. We're the poor. We're the needy. We're the, we're the ones who are oppressed. We're the ones who are weak. And the righteous king has compassion on the needy. It says he delivers or saves the needy, the poor, the one without a helper. It says he has pity or kindness on the weak and the needy. And he says it say, he saves the lives of the needy. Notice the righteous king, he redeems or delivers their life. And we're told that the blood of the oppressed and needy is precious in the sight of the king. I don't know about you. A lot of kings don't even concern themselves with the blood of their people. But the righteous, compassionate king, he loves his people, and their blood is precious in his sight. 
Listen, in a world that doesn't seem to give a rip about one another, I'm so glad to know that the righteous king cares about me. And he cares about who I am. And he cares about my neediness and how poor I am. And he delivers, he has pity, and he redeems those who are weak. He's a compassionate king. Number five, I want you to see the endless blessing of, for the king. Guess what the psalmist prays for? Endless blessing for the king. Verse 15 through 17. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Guess what the psalmist prays for, for the righteous king? Long life, continual prayers, and wealth. Blessing, gold, abundance of grain, fruit, cities that are teeming with people. In his name enduring and his fame enduring till the sun stops. It's a prayer that the king be blessed for all time. And may honor and happiness be found in his reign. The endless blessing of the king, that's what we desire. And then finally, number six, the Lord is the righteous king. Just again, this is not the psalmist talking about some individual human king the psalm is referring to the righteous king who will reign forever. Verse 18, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Verse 17, what did the psalmist ask for the king? That his name endure forever, that his fame continue as long as the sun. And guess what we get in the benediction? Guess what we get at the end of this psalm? Guess what we get at the end of book two of the psalms? This is David's prayer laid out for us, the son of Jesse, and it's ended after he says this, blessed be the Lord. He called upon the righteous king that his name would endure forever, and guess what he prays here at the end? Verse 19, blessed be his glorious name forever. Whose name? The Lord's name. The psalmist is telling us in Psalm 72, not just about the reign of Solomon or some other earthly king. What the psalmist is telling us is, blessed be the name of the king, the righteous king, the one who, when he comes, will bring justice and righteousness to the poor and needy. May his days be long. May his reign go on forever. May his name go forever, and may he be praised above all things. May, may the kingdom he leads be bountiful and prosperous. May the cities be teeming with people who love the king and worship the king and lay down everything for him. That's the kingdom the psalmist is talking about. It's not something we experience now, but will come one day when Jesus returns and we will dwell with him forever in perfect righteousness, perfect justice, and the poor and the needy who are us are saved and delivered. That's totally unlike this world right now. And that is so much more glorious than what we see here. One day, one day, the king will come. And when he comes, he's not coming on the back of a donkey this time. When this king comes, he's coming in righteousness and justice. 
He is coming to set up his throne. And his reign is so beautiful. And his reign is so good as to make this world look like a cheap shadow to what he will bring. And all the needy and all the poor and all the oppressed will be delivered. And in his kingdom, righteousness and justice will prevail. And blessing and prosperity will pour forth. And God will be with his people and he will lead them as their king. New heaven and new earth. It's this. It's this. But before we can ever experience this, before we can ever be a part of this kingdom, God must deal with sin. Because sin can't be a feature of the righteous kingdom. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem for us as human beings because guess what we all are? Anybody want to say it? We're all sinners. Even you sweet ladies. Even you distinguished gentlemen. We're all sinners. We fail constantly and regularly. We come up with new ways to blow it. And that can't be part of the righteous king's kingdom. And so God has to deal with it. And guess what? The poor and the needy and the broken who are marked by sin, the righteous king must deliver them. He must redeem them. He must crush the oppressor. Oh, I'm telling you, what we needed before, the, before God's kingdom can ever be consummated on the earth, what we needed, we needed someone who would be crushed so that the enemy might be destroyed. It's interesting that Isaiah, later on, after speaking of the Messianic king and, and longing for the day in which he comes, Isaiah shares with us the picture of what this king would do first. Isaiah 53, verse 2, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. This is the king. This is the king. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That sounds like the poor and needy. That sounds like you and me. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. This is the king. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, 
off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. That's the king. And before he can consummate and bring in the kingdom of God in its fullness, the king becomes the oppressed. He becomes the afflicted. He becomes the stricken. He becomes us. And by his stripes, we are healed. He is crushed. Psalm 72, the righteous king will crush the oppressor. When Jesus came the first time, he was on a mission to crush the oppressor. He was on a mission to do away with and to crush and finally defeat sin, Satan, and death. He rose from the grave, and Jesus promised when he returns the next time, he doesn't have to do it again. This time when he comes, he is putting away all of those things because he was crushed. Those of us who have been crushed can be delivered and redeemed, and we can be part of his kingdom. Because I'm sure you're asking yourself, or you should be, am I part of that kingdom? Am I going to be part of that kingdom? Well, if we're stuck in our sin, the answer to that question is no. Apart from Jesus, we cannot dwell in his kingdom. But Jesus came, and on the cross, he died in our place, that we might be redeemed and delivered, and saved into the kingdom of the beloved Son. That we would be transferred out of the dominion of darkness, and we might be adopted into the kingdom of the beloved Son. I don't know about you, but Jesus looks really sweet. Because he didn't have to do that, but he died for us. That is the righteous king who, who acts not on his own behalf, but dies for the people. And as such, what is the proper response for those who have been delivered into the kingdom? Worship and praise forevermore to the king who has died and given everything. May his reign last forever. And may we dwell with him in his justice and righteousness. I don't know about you, but Jesus is so sweet because not only did he come to rescue us from sin, but he promises he's coming again to, that we might dwell with him for all time. And that this broken world would be transformed into the righteous, just kingdom of the rightful king. He deserves our worship and praise this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you. That here in your word you show us that you are the righteous, perfect king. And God, you point our eyes to the future. God, in the midst of a world that is broken and lost and dying, a world that looks nothing like how you intended it to be, God, it's good news to know that the righteous king is coming and he's going to set up his kingdom and his kingdom is going to be one of blessing and prosperity. His kingdom is going to be one of righteousness and justice. His kingdom is going to be one of compassion and grace. And God, I am so grateful that you sent your son to die on the cross that we might be brought into this kingdom, that we might be able to worship and praise you to the ends of the age. Oh God, I pray 
that you'll help each one of us to notice that we are desperate sinners. And God, apart from you, we will not be part of this kingdom. God, apart from the rescue of Christ and his work, his life, death, and resurrection, God, apart from that, we cannot be part of this kingdom. Thank you, God, for showing us that. But God, help us to see that Jesus came and died to set free the captives, to crush the oppressor, and to lead the needy and the broken into the blessed reign of the righteous king. So God, I pray what you'll find in this place today is worship of you, knowing that we deserve none of this, and yet by your compassion and by your grace you gave it. So Lord, I pray that you will work in the hearts of these people. God, if they are trusting in their own efforts to save them, if they're trying to earn their way into your kingdom, I pray God you will show them that they cannot earn their way in. But God, you have already given everything through your son. He has made the way. Jesus has made the way into the kingdom for us. May we trust in him. So God, I pray that you'll draw people to yourself. I pray you'll show them that they are sinners in need of saving. And God, they would see that Jesus is the only way by which we can be saved. He is the only name we can call upon and be redeemed. God, I pray you'll show them that it's not about what they can do, but it's about what you have already done on the cross in Christ. May they repent of sin and trust in him. And Lord, I pray for us as Christians that you would help us not to become overwhelmed with this kingdom of this day that doesn't look anything like you, God, this kingdom that that is marked by injustice and unrighteousness. And God, I pray what you'll do is focus our eyes as Christians to the kingdom that is to come where we will dwell with you, God, and you will provide every good thing for us. And we'll praise your name. Oh, Lord, we long for that day. Help us, God, to look to that day with joy, anticipating your return and living for you today in light of your kingdom. Oh, God, I'm grateful that you rescue sinners like me. You save us into your kingdom. And, God, you have promised us such blessing in you. May we rejoice today that we have been rescued by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will work in the hearts of these people for your own glory. May they respond to you today, God. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.